Welcome to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. You can also check us out online at realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. All right, you guys can be seated. Thank you guys so much for being here today. If you're watching from home, I want to thank you so much. You're on vacation. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. Uh, Please make sure you join us next Sunday uh, if you're able to. Thank you so much for those watching online as well. Um, I had a great sermon ready for you guys. It was awesome. Probably my best ever. Like outpouring of revival, people get saved. And then Friday morning happened. I was sitting, all I was doing is sitting having a pancake. Uh, in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, which is really close to heaven, which is Knoxville, so I could feel the effects of heaven blowing on me. And then all of a sudden, the um, Supreme Court decided to throw a case down uh, and mess my whole weekend up. I had to start thinking about what I was going to do and how I was going to respond because I never want to be, I never want to be a, a church or a pastor that doesn't hit issues head on. Are you with me? Whether you agree or disagree with me, I can tell you where I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall in the text of the scriptures and I'm not going to deviate from that. That's, that's my opinion is God's opinion. Um, and I'm going to see, I'm going to try my best to see what God's opinion is and I'm going to follow as closely to the text of the scriptures as I can. I'm not going to read into something that's not there. I'm going to look at the uh, and what in text and seminary they call it hermeneutics. I'm going to look at the hermeneutics surrounding the the situation here. I'm going to look at everything surrounding the text, and I'm going to read into it. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, I try my best not to let my opinions uh, come in. Uh, that's impossible, but I try my best not to do that. Um, because when at 19 years old, what I did two days before I was 19, what I did is I died to myself. I told Christ. I said, Christ. I have not done a good job of living this life and I have these things that I need to be delivered from. And so I said, I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to turn my life over to you because my life is no longer in me, but my life is in Christ, which is you. And I'm going to submit, I'm going to come under the authority of the scriptures and I'm going to come under the authority uh, of the author and perfecter of my faith, which is Jesus Christ. And so because I've chosen to do that, <clears throat> oftentimes my opinion, which tends to be kind of fleshy and tends to be kind of worldly, my opinion is no longer relevant and is dead because I have died to Christ. Are you with me? Are you jiving with me? Okay. A lot of people don't get that. A lot of people don't get that. They make a profession of faith, but they don't die to Christ. And they live their lives, and they're no different than they were before they made a profession of faith. But I am telling you that to be fully saved, to know that you're saved, is to die to Christ. And to lean on His, what He did for us on the cross. And so... That's the point. So today it shouldn't, for those that have been coming, it shouldn't be any kind of surprise that I'm not going to spout off opinions. I'm just going to tell you some facts, but I'm also going to tell you what the scripture says. And through telling you what the scripture says, I'm going to flow over and let you know how I have formed my opinion 
it's not really my opinion, it's what the Bible says, and so I am going with what the Scripture says. Because every time I have stepped out of what the Scripture says and done my own thing, I've ended up falling flat on my face. And I've ended up being a hypocrite, and I've ended up being a lot of things. Are you with me? All right. So, the case that was decided Friday, this is called Reflections on Roe, is the name of the message. Reflections on Roe. I want to discuss it today. I want to talk to you guys about it today. But first I want to do something that's very important to me. And that is this. I'm not foolish enough to think that there's not people here who have either had abortions or who are, are, have been affected by this abortion debate. And I want to tell you this right off the bat. If you're someone who's had an abortion or you know someone who's had an abortion, you need to make sure they hear this. And there's three things I want to tell you. The first one is, is I do not judge you. God judges, Holy Spirit convicts, and I love, period. Period. I do not judge you. The second thing I want you to know is that God still loves you. I want you to hear that. God still loves you. And the third thing is, is there is still room at the cross for you. I want you to hear that. I don't judge you. God still loves you. And there is room at the cross for you. I'm not going to put highlights and highlighters and flashlights on someone else's sin just to make sure my sin stays in the darkness. We all can come under the authority of Christ. We all have room at the cross. But I'm also going to be completely honest with you and tell you that as a follower of Jesus, I celebrated the fact that unborn children now have the ability to be protected. I did. I celebrated it. Since I was 19 years old, since I gave my life over to Christ, I have passionately spoke out about, I've stood up for, and I've even campaigned for what occurred on Friday. So I want you to know that I celebrated and rejoiced on Friday. And I want you to know I make no apologies for that. Zero. Zero apologies for that. Why don't I make apologies for that? Well, here's why. Because it is not a social issue. It's not a judicial issue. It is a biblical issue. And today, now remember guys, I usually spend 15, 20 hours prepping. And, you know, I, I, I wrote some of this in the back of a car on the way home from a trip. Uh, on my notes in section, and then I did the rest yesterday evening whenever my family uh, went to the Dodgers game without me. Go Braves, they won. Sorry, Blake. Anyway, so, so, but anyway, so, so, I'm not, this is not going to be an exhaustive thing going through, but I am going to hit a few highlights because it is a biblical issue. And the first thing that I want you to understand is it is an issue of the doctrine of Imagio Dei. I want you to hear that. It is a biblical issue because of the doctrine of Imagio Dei. What is that? Imagio Dei simply means that we are created in the image of God. I want you to hear that. The reason I'm so passionate is because we are created in the image of God. Both male and female are created 
in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says this. It says, then God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. There's a little nugget in there for you. In our image to be like us. He's talking about the Trinity there. He's talking about the Trinity there. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals of the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We look at Genesis 9, verse 6, and it says this. It says, it says, if anyone takes a human life, that person's life will all be, also be taken by human hands. And here it is. For God made human beings in his own image. It's an issue of imago Dei. It's, it's the image of God that we are created in. And so, if every life is a bearer of God's image... Listen to this. Then every life matters. Every life matters. Every life matters. I can go to text where it says, where God is speaking. He says this to the prophet. He says, I want you to understand something. I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. I knit you together in your mother's room. It was an intimate situation where I knew you and I created you in, the, in my own image. I knew you. It is a biblical issue because of the fact that we're created in the image of God. The second thing, though, is that the Bible also discusses, discusses the innocent shedding of blood. Deuteronomy 19.10 says this. It says, that way you will prevent the death of innocent people in the land the Lord your God has given you as a special possession. You will not be held responsible for the death of innocent people. And leave that up there if you would, Lynn, because I want to explain this a little bit. You wonder, it says that way. That way, well, let me tell you what this is referring to. I want you to hear this. In Deuteronomy... They were instructed to set up what they called cities of refuge. They set up cities of refuge. What was a city of refuge? Well, let me tell you what a city of refuge was. A city of refuge was a place where... Now, if you just murdered somebody, and it was, it was boom, it happened, you had witnesses, it was over, boom. Then you were instantly dealt with. But in the city of refuge, what you would do is if there was a question about whether it was on purpose or not, it was if there's a question about it being accidental, they didn't want to immediately assume anything. And so what they would do is, is they would send people to what they call the city of refuge. There, they would not face any kind of consequence until such time that there would be judgment so the person had done wrong, but it wasn't quite sure whether it was wrong or right. And so they, they would, if it was on purpose, and so they would send them to the city of refuge. 
And there at the city of refuge, they would be treated normal. They would be everything. But they would be saved from, listen, they would be saved from the punishment that occurred until that person would be judged by the judge. And then that would go forward. So he says that way, by setting up these cities of refuge, you won't prevent the death of innocent people in the land of the Lord. Now this is interesting. This is interesting. And I want you to, I want to go a little deeper here with you. The church should be the city of refuge. The church is to be the city of refuge. The church is to be the place where people come who have sinned, who have messed up, be it accidental or not, who have come. We are to be the city of refuge. And I'm going to talk about that a little more in a minute. But that's what our role is. But God specifically is angered by the shedding of innocent blood. What is innocent blood? It's people, human beings in his own likeness, who had nothing to do in the matter, who did nothing wrong, yet died anyway, who had no say. Psalm 10.8 says this. It says, They lurk in ambush in the villages, waiting to murder innocent people. They are always searching for helpless victims. Psalm 106.38 says this. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, by sacrificing them to the idols of Canaan. They polluted the land with Murder, And I'm here to tell you guys, as honest as I can be, for the last 50 years, our land has been polluted with murder. It has been polluted with murder. And my prayer is, is that this will be a turning point and that we would begin to have revival in our land and that we would turn away from these idols, turn away from these things that we find so important and turn back to God. Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19 says, There are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests. And here they are. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and here it is, hands that kill the innocent. It goes on to say this. There's a whole list. A heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in the family. These are the things that God hates. He does not like hands that kill the innocent. So for me, it is a biblical question. We are created in the image of God. In my show day, we're created in the image of God. And because we're created in the image of God, we all have value. And also God does, he detests, he speaks out boldly against hands that shed innocent blood. So I want to Rotate around now and give you some facts, some truth to what we're talking about today. The heart begins beating at six weeks. The heart begins beating at six weeks. Now listen, I know medical issues arise. And as a follower of Jesus, I want to get this. I recognize that things get complicated and decisions have to be made medically. My own wife's father 
was an OBGYN. He had to make medical decisions that arise. But that's not really what I'm talking about. That's not what we're talking about today. Now, here's, here's what I want you to understand. That's what the news people and, and certain politicians are going to want to talk about all the time. But I'm going to show you some statistics, not by me, but from the CDC and from different states. I'm going to show you some stats here in a minute that's going to blow your mind. But I understand that medical decisions have to be made sometimes. I understand that sometimes there's things that happen. And for me, I believe enough in God that he will deal with those situations. I trust him enough to deal with those situations. I want you to understand something. I know these things for a fact because research has been done on them. And no, I'm not talking about rape or incest either. And I'm going to give you the numbers in a second, but I'm not talking about rape or incest either. Here's the real issue. Do you know that around the world, the majority of laws that are, allow abortion, they limit the weeks of abortion from 10 to 12 weeks and under? The leader of France posted on Twitter Friday how sad he was. Macron is his name. He posted on Friday how sad he was that this law was struck down. The issue is, is that France's abortion is only legal up to 12 weeks. The law that was in discussion was 15 weeks, by the way. 15 weeks. Most countries around the world don't even allow it. 10 weeks and under. 12 weeks and under. The law in Mississippi was 15 weeks, and they didn't even want to do that. In America, y'all, those that shout choice want to push and push and push and push and push and push an agenda that goes well past six weeks. Just like they want to push and push and push and push other agendas that go against the biblical standard of God. They want to push and push and push and push. They want to go past six weeks. They want to go to eight weeks, and 10 weeks, 15 weeks. Let me tell you what a baby's doing at 15 weeks. By 15 weeks, your baby's whole body has movements. They have arms and legs, and they stretch out, and they can make breathing motions. The outer part of the baby's ears are growing. They're becoming recognizable. And all the canals are developing. They're, they're developed. They can't quite hear yet, but it's coming soon. The skin is translucent, but it's there. Bones continue to harden. Collarbones, you know, leg bones, everything is already in place at 15 weeks. Yet here's the sad situation that we find ourselves. Congress couldn't even pass partial birth abortion because liberal Democrats blocked it and vetoed it in the mid-90s twice. Did you know that? Do you see push and push and push and push? In New York, their laws okayed abortions up to 24 weeks. In Vermont, there is no weak situation all the way up to birth in Vermont. No time frame. Here's the truth of the matter, you guys. Most people understand medical necessity. Most people understand medical necessity. And we understand that if the mother's life is in danger, that decisions have to be made. 
But what we don't want is the needless slaughter of those who had no choice, the innocent blood. And the reason we don't want that is because we have submitted our lives under the scriptures of the text of the Bible. And we have realized and understand that he is the creator of all things. And we are created in his image. And because we're created in his image, we have value. And so do those unborn children in the womb. Abortion should never be a form of birth control, period. 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 End of discussion. It should never be a form of birth control. You know, it's interesting to me. I read a lot of things yesterday and the day before. I read a lot of things about moms not being able to afford the cost of their health care. I read a lot of things about unwanted pregnancies. I got a question for you, and I mean this honestly. When do, when do the responsibilities of our own actions play a part here? At what point are we as a society going to take responsibility for our own actions? actions at what point are we going to step up and say I did this I'm taking responsibility for this and I'm going to have this child at what point are we going to stop trying to take the easy way out of life in America no one wants to take responsibility for their own actions no one does No one wants to look themselves in a mirror and say, I did this. I'm taking ownership. No one wants to do that. I want to tell you some some stats here in case you hear some things on the news or you have people that talk to you. Here's this. This Now, I'm going to tell you, this first, first one is from 2004. I will tell you that nothing's changed, by the way. The stats are the same. But I wanted to make sure that I didn't take stats from some, some, um, you know, some, some uh, um, I don't know what they even call us now, but some, some person that, that is, is 1,000% against abortion. Um, I, 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 I didn't want to go there. I wanted to take stats from the CDC, and I want to take stats from, and actually these stats that I'm going to read from you are from, from, from what they would call pro-choice. I would call it pro-abortion, but uh, choice just sounds so much sweeter, doesn't it? But, but this is some stats from them. Okay, so what, what percentage... Uh, of abortions are done. Uh, less than half of a percent is done because of a victim of rape. Three percent are, are fetal health issues. Four percent is physical health problems. And then it starts from there. And so you've got seven and a half percent are all of the things that you hear online. Seven and a half percent. So 92 and a half percent. Here we go. Seven percent not mature enough to raise a kid. would interfere with my education or career. 8% don't want to be a single mom. 19% I'm done done having children. 23% I can't afford a baby. And then combined not ready for a child and other is 31%. So 92.5% are done because of birth control issues. That's in 2004. These stats I'm going to ready to read you are from Florida from the CDC. 
What are the reasons? This is in 2020. What are the reasons for abortion in Florida? They make you tell why you're getting the abortion in Florida, by the way. That's how they have these stats. Less than 0.1% is because of an incestuous relationship. Less than 0.15% is the woman was raped. Less than 0.2%, not 20, not 2, 0.2% was the woman's life was in danger. 0.98 was a serious fetal abnormality. uh, 1.48 was the woman's physical health was threatened threatened by pregnancy. Uh, 1.88, the woman's uh, psychological health was threatened by pregnancy. And then we get to the rest. 95.3% was for birth control. Can't afford, don't want any other kids, mess up my career, those kind of things. Listen, this discussion is one that is um, got a lot of smoke and mirrors. The truth is, is that the majority of abortions done in America today are done for birth control. And that's not my facts. That's the facts of the people that have done the stuff that are for, that are for Roe v. Wade. All right? That are for it. That's the facts. I think now would be a good time to uh, have someone come up. I've asked these two people to come up because I know their story. And I think it would encourage you uh, to know their story. And so they're going to take five minutes and tell their story. So Elijah and Rachel Slade, would you guys come up here? Because I think you need to know this. I think you need to know the reality of, of people in our lives here in, um, at Real Church. So Elijah and Rachel are going to take just five minutes. And everybody right now is saying, Elijah, there's no way he's going to talk less than five minutes. But he is. Y'all come on I'll up. Try to, you guys come I'll try up to here. keep it brief. You guys come on up here so you can be seen so that people are like, who's talking? So you can stand right here. All right. Thank you guys so much. Um, a lot of flood of emotions, obviously, um, especially with the court case and, uh, and the kind of way it came down. And instantly, I know for me, and I don't want to speak Rachel the whole time. I'm hoping she's going to speak some. She says no. Uh, so it may just be me. Just correct me where I go wrong then, I guess. Um, but one of the big flood of emotions was the fact that we were, we were faced um, with, this, uh, with this same decision. Um, not from a birth control standpoint, um, but from a medical standpoint. Uh, for those of you that don't know... Alex, obviously, um, he's been our wonder kid. Um, so we, um, it, you know, long story short, um, we got to the doctor's office doing a regular scheduled checkup, regular, uh, you know, uh, regular checkup, health checkup, what? 20 week anatomy scan. And the doctors came and the, actually there was a nurse that came in and was doing the scan, uh, just like they normally do. And uh, she abruptly stopped in the middle of the scan. Um, her eyes got really big, kind of freaked us out a little bit. She just said, uh, she got up and she just excused herself, said, excuse me, um, I'll be back. And then left us in the room to wonder. And we started to freak out uh, and, and trying to, you know, all the different ranges of emotions of trying to figure out what, what, what could possibly be wrong. Doctor came in, um, took over the scan, scanned as well. Um, shortly thereafter, shut the machine off and said, um, well, we need to talk. Um, it's not good news. 
um, more than likely um, not going to go to full term. Um, all kinds of medical issues, um, a thickened nuchal fold. Did I say that right? Hey, I got that right. Usually I don't remember that, but I got that one right. Um, basically, seven of nine markers, uh, Down syndrome or worse, um, heart conditions, heart issues, et cetera, and immediately started to go into, um, I would almost say callously. I mean, it was like immediate was the reaction to, okay, well, we need to start talking about what we're going to do, you know, and, and obviously there's some options and, and, and possibly look at ending the pregnancy. And we hadn't even had a chance to digest. We had not even had a chance to, to think about, to, to pray about, to anything. Um, and immediately the questions were, were starting to, to get there. And, and for us it was, whoa, sl slow down. Uh, obviously we're going to get a second opinion. We've got to be able to We've got to be able to absorb this and, and even understand, you know, what needs to happen. Um, so we got a second opinion. Second opinion came back the same way. Um, heart, heart defects um, may or may not make it a term. Um, one of the things that they talked about when we said really we didn't feel like after a lot of thoughts and prayers, we felt like, you know, it wasn't an option for us. Um, this, was, this, is, this was God's hand at work, and whatever happens, happens. And so... One of the things that really, um, I think it really took me for a loop was they came back and said, well, we can do a test to help you make the decision towards abortion was the way it was put. I'll never forget the way it was said. Never forget the way it was said. And that is we can do this test and there's a 20% chance that we will end the pregnancy by doing the test. Okay. There's a 20% chance just by taking this test that the pregnancy will, will end uh, and we'll have to go down that road. Um, but you know, it's 80% chance that, that, you know, the baby will survive the, the process. And my question immediately was, what is this test going to do? What's well, going to give you more information and tell you exactly how bad it's going to be so that you can have better information to make the right decision was the way it was put. Um, sorry. Um, it became very, very obvious how eroded uh, the situation had become, how easy that was to pull, even in a medical situation. So when Barry talks about, um, you know, how much, of, how much of the issue in America is birth control, even, out, even when you get inside that 5 to 7% of other issues, it is the go-to in everything. That's how much we're, we're all um, conditioned. That's the way the, that's the way the, the country is being conditioned because it's such an easy thing to do. We're saying, well, ultimately, obviously we decided that, um, that wasn't going to happen. And, uh, much to the doctor's dismay, um, they were, they were shocked. They said, we really think you should rethink this. We said, no, absolutely not. This is, this is God and whatever happens happens. And it was a prayerful, <laughs> uh, multiple churches, uh, and multiple, I can't, I don't know how many people praying, praying, et cetera. All the way through the pregnancy, we, we assumed at birth that um, there was going to be bad news. And so um, at birth, one of the Rachel's first questions when they were cleaning his airway or clearing his airway was uh, she asked, she said, does he look okay? Does he look okay? And other than the fact that it looked like he had been in a fight, I mean, he was pretty bruised up, beat up and jaundiced or whatever. He looked perfectly fine. The doctors immediately swept him away and took him, or the nurses immediately swept him away, took him to the NICU to go find out what was wrong with him and could not find anything other than a little jaundice and a few bruises. 
And so it amazed them. He did have some breathing issues. Yeah, he, he had a few breathing issues, and his heart murmur closed up within a couple of weeks. Was it two months? Okay, a couple of months. His heart murmur had closed up. But we had to go basically refuse to let him stay in the NICU and have him brought back to us because they just simply couldn't find anything wrong with him. So he is our miracle baby in the fact that it would have been so easy to just follow doctor's orders, follow what the doctor was leaning towards and what the doctors and nurses had suggested. They don't know what we know. So you want to add? All right. All right. Thank, you. Thank you guys so much. You guys give them a hand. You can put it down there. Set it down there. <laughs> I wanted to share that story because I wanted to make sure you understood the, what was going on um, with that. Now, does, does everything, I, w- I want to highlight a couple things they said. Listen, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't always mean that things are going to work out the way that uh, it worked out with Elijah and Rachel. Uh, but here's the important part that they had. They had a connection with God. They spoke to God on a daily basis. They had people that were praying for them. And when they had that connection, they were able to go and petition God themselves and make a decision based off what they felt like God was leading them to do. That doesn't mean that God would lead you to do the same thing. It, it, it was the fact that they had a connection with God. So we face these issues, even as believers. We face these issues. But I want you to understand something. We can proclaim what I have proclaimed today, but I want to end with what I feel like is the most important part of the message, and it's this. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? Are you going to put something on social media and say, yay and that'd be it? Can I tell you what we need to do? And some of the things that we do here are going to start making sense to you. The church has to step up. I want to say that again a little louder for those in the back. The church has to step up. We have to step up. We have to step up. That's why a few weeks back, And I hope some of you guys have them still and you're filling it with money. That's why we do things for the pregnancy center downtown that does counseling with people, biblical counseling with people to show them what their options are and to help them. And they help with mothers, single mothers that are in need. I've shared this with you before. I've shared this with you before. The majority of people that end up getting abortions are single mothers. I want you to know that first. And the second thing I want you to know is, is that single mothers are the biggest need point in America today. They are. They're the things that the church is missing. We're not going to miss it at Real Church. We're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Not while I'm here. If y'all if bring somebody else in, you can miss them. But I'm not missing them. I'm not missing them. So... The church has to step up. We have to support the pregnancy center here locally. It's interesting because a few weeks back, Elijah felt like that God was really drawing him to do something. I know he doesn't mind me sharing this, but he was drawing him to do something. But he also wanted to kind of get in shape. And so he he didn't want to be like me, A-shape. He wanted to be in shape. Are you with me? So Elijah started, he, he and his family started running. And they're running for a cause. 
and they've already made contact with the pregnancy center here locally. And as a family, they are moving forward, helping with these moms. We need to help with medical assistance as well. When needs arise and we know of needs that have arisen, we have to help those single moms. I want to tell you something. Let me tell you a little story. So, uh, and I want to share this. I want, I want you to know something. The, the, the young lady that was here for Christmas Eve that we paid off her car, the single mom that we paid off her car and we paid for her childcare for a year. We're still doing that, by the way, every month. Boom. Um, we, we, we still, we're still doing that. Um, and that we gave a shopping spree to. She signed her lease for her apartment two years ago, and it was around $1,300, and she could afford that somewhat. Uh, she just got her new release, new lease thing. It's $1,750 a month. She makes $30,000 a year. You do the math. Now, what do we do as a church? She's hardworking. She wants her best for her kid. What do we do as a church? I can tell you what we're doing as a church. We continue, we continue to help her. Because we've got to do that. I'm not sending checks here to an organization. You know, we don't give our money to the cooperative program. We're, we're quasi-Baptist, but we don't give our money to the cooperative program. You know why? Because I'm not writing checks for, for, for uh, bureaucracy. I'm writing checks to go directly in the accounts of the people that need it. 100%. That's what we're doing here. You know, we have those, those bottles. Uh, Lynn's got about 20 of them, I think, in those baby bottles. You can also give a donation, but we have those. We're going to be bringing those in in a couple of weeks and going and presenting those to them. We also, we also are, are vested with I-58 Mission. We're vested with I-58 Mission. Right now today... And this is going to be the third year we've done this. We've done this four different times, and we're starting our fifth time. If you don't know this, and you've been going to church here, or you were unaware, one of the things this church does is we provide brand new, name brand, nice shoes. Don't bring the generic shoes. Don't bring the cheap shoes. Don't bring, we're throwing them right to the trash if you do. Don't bring those. Bring the Nike and the Adidas, and on and on and on. You bring those nice shoes. The Under Armour, you bring the nice shoes. All right? We buy shoes for underprivileged children, most of which come from single mom families. We buy shoes for them going into start the school year, and we buy them for them at Christmas. And so we will end up buying usually over 200 pair of shoes. Last year at Christmas, we bought 200 pair of shoes, and we gave a $2,000 donation. How cool is that? So right now today, as you leave here, you're going to be able to sign up. We've got the tags. We're actually partnering with um, my buddy Jonathan and his church. They wanted to jump on board with this. And so we're partnering with them. The link is live on the, we- on the, on the, uh, on the website. Lynn, if you want to share that link to the people watching online, they can go ahead and get rolling. If you don't have time to go shop for shoes, we will shop for you. My wife loves shopping. And this time it'll be your money, not mine, buying shoes for kids. But we'll do it for you. And so we're going to do that. We're going to continue to, to, to do things with organizations like the Bloom Closet, like Bridging the Gap, like Pathway right down the street that's helping, helping ladies get clean from drug and alcohol abuse. That's who we're going to be. But you can't, listen, 
You can't get up here on a Sunday morning and make bold proclamations about how abortion needs to be, you know, uh, doesn't need to be legal. And you're happy about the, 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 the Supreme Court ruling. I'm ecstatic about it. And that's only the start. Because these ladies need Jesus. And they need Jesus with skin on. And that's what you're called. And that may mean that you don't live the lifestyle that you want to live, but it's the lifestyle that God wants you to live. That means that you may have to skip a meal out so you can buy a pair, pair, pair of shoes. That's what that means. I encourage you to do that. That ham sandwich at the house, won't taste, it taste, it'll taste like filet mignon, man, when you do that. It really will. It really will. Those taco shells will taste just like La Perea, I promise you. It'll be like water to wine, man. It'll be the, the miracle. You'll have old cold cheese dip, and it'll be like, boom, La Perea right there. That's what will happen. And you'll feel so great because you've done something, you've made a difference. But we're not just going to do it one time. This is an ongoing thing for us, and it's an ongoing thing for our church. I share this all the time. I don't share it. I don't share it online because I don't want people to think that we're trying to boast. But amongst our family here, I share this all the time. We gave away over $50,000 at Christmas. Our budget is, was $250,000. And we gave away over $50,000 at Christmas for worthy causes. Like the Georgia Baptist Children's Home where we adopted our daughter from years ago. And oh, by the way, do you know what one of the greatest needs is in Coweta County right now? Foster parents and adoption parents. Foster and adoptive parents. I've done it. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. It's hard. It's real hard. If you want to die to yourself, do that. And I promise you, you will die to yourself. But it's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. But you'll never be more like Jesus if you do it. So as a church, we have to put our money literally where our mouth is. And say, and go back, by the way, go back to doing what the church was supposed to be doing from the beginning. The only reason the government got involved anyway is because the church failed. Real church is not going to fail. We're going to do our part. That I can promise you. Let me pray for you. Lord, we do 100% submit to your word. We 100% submit to who you are. We submit to your word and your will. We submit, God, our own fleshly desires over to you. And God, I do ask and I do pray for those that are lost. I pray for those that are struggling right now. I pray for those that have the guilt of having had an abortion and I pray that you would come down and put your arms around them and love them and show them and let them feel, let us be those people for them. Let them understand that we don't judge them and that God still loves them and that there's room at the cross for them. And God, I do pray that we understand the value of human life because of the Imagio Dei, the the fact that we are created in your image and that one of the things you detest 
is the shedding of innocent life. And so God, we do wade in these deep waters and in these troubling times, but we don't do so on our behalf. We do so because of the word that you've given us. And we will let you go first and we will follow. Teach us, Lord, and show us your ways. We know your ways are higher. And thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you provided a way for us through Jesus Christ. It's in the strong and mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand up and let's sing a final worship song. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Until then, God bless and remember to love God, love others, and live real.